This is Education Insight. I'm Lacey Kendall. American colleges, universities, and high schools have learned in the past few years that more high school students end up in college when they visited and experienced one. As you'd guess, bus tours and immersive visits have exploded. In the Inland Empire, it's being taken one step further. Most high schools are now offering dual enrollment to any student. It's free classes that count towards their degree if and when they do go to college. And many high schoolers here are joining the university students in class and discovering that they themselves are right for college. Jorge Perez is an expert in college and career readiness for the Riverside Unified School District. He joins us later in the show. Over the past few years, Education Insight has welcomed plenty of student science fair, athletics, and spelling bee winners, but none quite like Avajit Randawa and his sisters. In their house, at least one of them has made it to the National Spelling Bee for the past seven years. We speak with them later and learn how this family has put language at the center of learning in their Corona home. But first, joining us by phone is Adrienne Pacheco. She's a guidance counselor at Chafee Joint Union High School District, whose work is focused on engaging students in dual enrollment and getting them to imagine themselves in college. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Could you start by describing your role as a counselor at Chafee Joint Union High School District? Thank you. I'm a school counselor at, currently at the Alternative Education Center for the Chafee Joint Union High School District. And there I have an opportunity to work with multiple schools and programs. Dual enrollment really became a passion for me um, at the online high school. We, before COVID, were connecting kids for an in-person option and starting to have the ability for them to complete general education courses and connect them to pathways prior to graduating from high school. During the pandemic, the courses all went online and asynchronous. And so it opened up a lot of possibility. And the growth was so quick that over the last three years, I've had the pleasure of working side by side with my district and Chafee College to be able to help connect students in the district to dual enrollment and creating programs and pathways for students that are more attainable and to help our high school counselors be able to connect students. They don't know all of the uh, programs. And so that was what we were really working on is an easy way for us to be able to connect students to the dual enrollment process. Okay. So, Adrian, uh, I think parents and, of course, educators that are listening right now, they're saying, yes, of course, I know what dual enrollment is, and that's why I'm listening today. But for those that may be hearing this term for the very first time as it's exploding in the Inland Empire, would you explain dual enrollment? Yeah. So dual enrollment is really a big word and it has a lot of different looks throughout the Inland Empire. But very simply, it's the ability for high school students to be what they call special part-time admits 
at the community college. So basically they're enrolled at the high school and the community college at the same time. Now what dual enrollment looks like in different schools and districts can be very different on each campus. And so it's just high school students being able to take college classes while they're still enrolled in high school. Okay. So what are the primary benefits of dual enrollment for students? And how does it affect their educational experience? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously one of the primary benefits is if you're taking college classes while you're in high school and they're free, you're able to save time and money, right? Student loan debt is a huge thing that we all talk about. So that's one of um, the great benefits to dual enrollment. But I think the biggest thing is connecting students, especially who may not see themselves as college students, to the college prior to graduating from high school. So having that comfort and accessibility and the um, ease of being able to navigate a post-secondary institution is the primary benefit for our students. Many students in our district attend our community colleges, but sometimes they don't get connected right away or they don't have some options for a pathway, a certificate, a degree. And this allows them to kind of research and navigate those things prior to attending a community college. We also have a lot of students that complete their general education while they're with us. And then they're able to maybe double major um, in college, shorten the amount of time they're in a four-year institution, and be able to access higher degrees earlier. So it is just really important for students because the likelihood of them completing a degree or certificate when they've taken a college course while they're in high school is exponentially greater, especially for underrepresented students. So that's where we've seen the most success is connecting underrepresented students to the community college prior to graduation. That's the group that we've seen the most success with. Gotcha. If you just joined us, you're listening to Education Insight. We're talking about dual enrollment today. How does increasing dual enrollment numbers benefit our region or even our community as a whole, Adrian? Honestly, the way that it really benefits our community is we're able to connect students to post-secondary degrees and certificates. So we're increasing the workforce in our own community, not having to go outside to fill those jobs. We're also able to, you know, then drive up the median wage if people have careers and aren't having to work at minimum wage. So the state of California has now developed some initiatives and some mandates. Could you speak to how those mandates and initiatives may have influenced the growth of these new programs? Yeah. So in in 2016, we had AB 288 which was the College and Career Access Pathway Law. And that began to change the thought of what students would be taking dual enrollment courses. It was originally identified for students that were gifted or ready to advance scholastically, Mm -hmm. and it opened it up to all students. So then in 2019, AB30 took another dive to increase access, to streamline the processes between the community college and the K-12 systems and to create stronger supports and partnerships between the community colleges and the K-12 system. In 2019, we also had the opportunity for adult school students who were taking courses to complete their high school diploma to also participate in the dual enrollment programs through the community college while they're attending the adult school to earn their high school diploma. 2022, 
it extended those provisions to include juvenile court schools, county offices of education, and the adult schools. So now it's really expanded to just everybody, yeah. 9 through 12. What does the research actually say about the impact of dual enrollment on a student's academic achievements or even their future success? So the research is really showing that, first of all, a student taking a college class is more likely to graduate from high school. They're more likely to enroll in college full-time once they've graduated. They're less likely to need remedial courses when they matriculate into the post-secondary institutions. They are maintaining higher GPAs when they do attend college. And there's a higher percentage of students who have taken dual enrollment in high school that are persisting in completing baccalaureate degrees. The research is showing us that the positive effects are proportionally greater for students who are first-gen and low socioeconomic students. Adrian, could you share some examples or insights on dual enrollment activities that are taking place in our region? I mean, what is happening here in the Inland Empire? Just in our local community college and in our high school district, we have increased our enrollment over three and a half times. So as everyone's been increasing, we've been honestly trying different things out. So different districts and different schools have a lot of ways that they've implemented the opportunity for students to take high school and college classes at the same time. So some of those examples are um, some districts are using them and creating an actual CTE pathway, say like a cybersecurity pathway or a child development pathway. And other schools are using it with embedded support. So at our continuation school, the students all take a guidance class. It's taught by a Chafee professor online and asynchronous, but they're in a class with one of our teachers that's helping them make sure that they can navigate the course, kind of keeping an eye on their grade, making sure they're turning in their assignments. We have college professors in some districts teaching on the high school campus. We have co-teaching happening within high schools where there's a college professor and a high school teacher in the classroom at the same time. Um, and we have high school teachers that are qualified. They meet the minimum qualifications to be a professor in the state of California, and they're teaching these courses within their school day. So it, it looks different everywhere. And I think the thing is right now is we're all trying different things. And some of us aren't ready to try those things yet. And they're, they're watching and they're listening. Um, some are starting really small with a small group of students. You know, it's a cohort of students. They have an advisor. They have an, you know, advisement period every day. But it exploded fast. And so everyone's just kind of looking around to see, you know, what is the best way to do this? And, you know, a lot of that depends on union contract and union agreements between the community college and their faculty and the high school union and their faculty. Mm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of pieces that go into it. Yeah. There's still a lot of um, fear as to what's going to happen. Both sides are afraid it's going to take jobs. Both sides are afraid that the college classes are different than their classes, and so maybe not the same curriculum. So everybody's kind of feeling the way around it. I think six more years from now, there's going to be a lot of really established programs throughout the Inland Empire, and primarily because we're going to get to share each other's successes and pitfalls. Yeah. And that's going to help us, you know, grow all of these different programs in various ways. So let's talk about equity and access. 
Are there strategies in place to make sure that equal opportunities are available for all students when it comes to dual enrollment? Before you answer that, we need to take a quick break. More with our guest, dual enrollment specialist, Adrian Pacheco of the Chafee Joint Union High School District. This is Education Insight. This is Education Insight. Today, discussing dual enrollment and the impact it's having on getting students in San Bernardino and Riverside counties interested in attending a college or university. Our guest is Adrian Pacheco, a counselor for Chafee Joint Union High School District. Adrian, before the break, I asked, are there strategies in place to make sure that equal opportunities are available for all students when it comes to dual enrollment? Yeah, so I mean, I can't speak for everyone in the Inland Empire, but I think we're still having the same, you know, the parents who know about it tend to be the ones who have also been college graduates themselves. And so it's really trying to connect the first-gen college student, right, to the community college courses early on. But there's fear even from the parents. Like when you say to them, I want your student to take a college course. And they're like, oh, no, no, my my kid can barely pass high school. They can't take a college course. It's really not that much different than a high school class, right? We've been preparing them in high school where our students are graduating college and career ready, completing ACG requirements. That's what we've been doing is preparing them. And so they're going to be okay. And so that equity and access piece is really just getting the word out, right? And helping connect them to information sessions and We're doing them in our local community college. We do them in English and Spanish. For our families, I do a dual information session. So just specific to our district so that they know credit conversions are, what our graduation requirements are, and that they can plan. It's just really trying to get the word out and connecting those people. But it takes bodies and it takes time. And that's something on the K-12 side that we really just don't have right now. The community colleges are, you know, working with us, but they have limited faculty as well. You're listening to Education Insight. We're speaking with Adrian Pacheco. She is a school counselor at Chafee Joint Union High School District, and we are talking about dual enrollment. So, Adrian, how do you see dual enrollment programs evolving in our region as we get better and better at this? How are educators shaping the future of these programs? I really believe that it's going to be part of our programming. It's going to be part of what we do in high school. Our goal from our superintendent in 2016 was that all students take a college course before they graduate, right? To see themselves in college, to have the connectedness. Um, And I think we're all growing in that vision, right? And so trying to figure out with the different agreements that different community colleges have on how to offer that to the students. Um, And I think it's the best way to increase career pathways, right? To increase students being connected to an actual career after they graduate from high school. And so those are the two big things that I think we're going to see in the future, right? Um, Students just all taking a college course while they're in high school and then having some intentional pathways that are created for students throughout the community college districts 
for students to, you know, maybe even finish things before they graduate from high school. Finish a certificate, maybe finish an AA. And I think that's where we're going. Adrian, a lot of our guests will say, before we begin the interview, they'll say, ask me for an example. Because I know so many examples of students that have done well because of this or that program. Could you share uh, maybe an incident or a student that really, their experience really illustrated the transformative power of dual enrollment? Yeah, I mean, I can go on and on all day with my online high school (laughs) students. I mean, we've gotten, you know, kids that graduate in 11th grade with all their GEs done, you know, AAs, all that. I mean, I can tell you the fancy stuff from the academic side, but the real gem is when I have one of the students from our continuation school that's taking guidance to with our embedded support here on campus. And I had a student, it was last semester, she took this course and sometimes I go down um, and, and meet with them and, you know, it gets me excited. So I like to hear, you know, how the kids feel about it. And so, you know, I'm talking to her and, you know, when they're at the continuation school, they feel like they failed in some way. And most of the students have had just something in life that's gotten in their path. And so that's why they got behind on credits. And she really thought at that point that like her dreams and aspirations of becoming a scientist or physicist were completely out of the realm. So she's in this class and she's taking this class and she's getting an A and she's like so excited. And she's like, I can do this. I'm like, yeah. She's (laughs) like, I can go to college. I'm like, well, yeah. Anyone Mm -hmm. in the state of California that's 18 can go to college. So she's like, I can be successful in college. So she sped up her graduation. So she graduated at the end of first semester and we had her enrolled second semester at Chafee College as a full-time freshman. Um, She'd already met with a guidance counselor um, at Chafee and had an ed plan and she was on her way to her major. Um, You know, I've had the teacher check in with her because she was so excited and I just really wanted to make sure that she didn't hit any barriers. Um, and it, that was probably the most exciting. I mean, she was crying in class um, when she told me. And then, you know, in turn, the teacher and I were crying after class. Yeah. But yeah, to have those students, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. On the telephone, Adrian Pacheco, a counselor at Chafee Joint Union High School District. Uh, talking about dual enrollment in local schools and helping us to understand what it is, where it's happening, and where it's going. Adrian Pacheco, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Education Insight. Today, discussing how various dual enrollment programs encourage high school students to take a college course and are causing more high school grads in the Inland Empire to want to go to college. We're joined today by Jorge Perez, a college and career readiness expert for the Riverside Unified School District. Jorge, thanks for taking our call. Well, thank you for having me. Could you start by describing your role as an educational services specialist for college and career readiness? What does all that entail? Sure. I know it's a, it's a long title, um, but as an instructional service specialist who oversees college and career readiness here at the district, I, I lead district-wide uh, initiatives uh, and coordinate district-wide college and career readiness events and workshops for parents and students uh, at the secondary level, which is middle school and high school. 
This includes leading in the coordination, uh, implementation, and monitoring of the district's dual enrollment programs. So how, how does dual enrollment align with your role at Riverside Unified School District? Well, in, in our district, the expectation is that students graduate having completed the A3G requirements for college admissions and transition successfully into their uh, post-graduation goals, whether that be directly going to college, directly going to the workforce, or the military. Uh, in order to provide opportunities, uh, resources, and the necessary tools to support all students in being cause and ready, uh, I establish, facilitate, and maintain relationships with uh, and partnerships with the uh, Institutes of Higher Education to provide our students educational advantages. Dual enrollment provides preparation for post-graduation pathways or provides students the ability to earn high school and college credits at the same time. It increases their confidence and motivation to persist, and it also creates a smoother transition to college with the focus to increase college completion rates. Jorge, could you share some of your experiences and your unique thoughts on the current dual enrollment programs that are being offered at Riverside Unified School District? I mean, what are some of the notable successes or important outcomes that you've noticed and could share with us? Great, Will. And, and we've now been offering dual enrollment, specifically CCAP courses, um, in the last five years. And so what we've seen is an increase in unduplicated students participating in dual enrollment, increasing from 239 students. These are unduplicated individual students from 2018-19, going from 239 to this past 22-23 year of 434 students. Mm. So in five years, we've almost doubled the number of students yeah. taking college courses. So in addition to that, we've also increased the grades earned from 239 from that first year to 891 this past year. Um, and that's a, that's a large increase of, of grades, college course grades being posted on students' transcripts um, compared to other programs that provide that opportunity. And then additionally, um, one of the other items that we've noticed uh, a great success in is students receiving grades of an A, B, or C has been in the mid-80 percentile over these last five years, some years closer to 85, 88. Uh, and then with the pandemic hitting, uh, it did dip a little into the low 80s. But nonetheless, the success rate of students participating in these courses has really uh, shed a light on the ability for students to be able to not only take these courses, but do well, succeed. Um, and it's uh, been very much noticed not only in our district, but in our community too. Yeah. So explain to me, uh, you know, some parents may say that not all children, uh, not all high school students intend to go on to college. For those that intend to jump right into a career, how does dual enrollment make them career ready? What benefits have you seen? Uh, so some of the benefits that prepare students to be career ready. Um, and this is going directly to the workforce um, or in, uh, entering an apprenticeship um, or even like for students that would like to go to the military. Um, it provides them the opportunity to have experience in taking courses that may be related to what it is that they want to enter. So while in high school, these dual enrollment courses allow them to explore the different careers. Uh, we have two pathways, as I mentioned. We have uh, the first pathway is 
a transfer pathway, which touches up on very diverse group of courses, everything from the arts to the sciences to, uh, as we mentioned, starting the students off with just the guided exploration. It's a career exploration course uh, in their ninth grade. Um, but for those that also want to participate and go towards directly something in the medical field, we do offer those nursing pathways um, that would allow them to go directly into a medical office and be able to continue to supplement what they've learned in their program, their career technical education program, but also supplement, as I mentioned, with these dual enrollment courses and be able to be a competitive applicant for that position that they may be applying for. It also provides a smoother transition um, because students are dealing with demands uh, of of adulthood, right? And so because they are in dual enrollment courses, they are dealing with professors uh, and items such as FERPA, which protects their rights as, uh, as a student. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be able to advocate for themselves, speak for themselves, and maneuver uh, through that dual enrollment process, uh, which is going to lend itself well to what's being provided for them in the other courses on high school, which is really how to speak up for themselves, how to make sure that they promote themselves for the positions for which they may want to go and apply for. Yeah. If you just joined us, you're listening to Education Insight. We're speaking with Jorge Perez, Instructional Services Specialist, Career and College Readiness at Riverside Unified School District. And we are talking about dual enrollment, something he knows very well. Jorge, in your experience, uh, what challenges do students typically face in dual enrollment programs when they do have challenges? And how do you address those issues? I think one of the biggest challenges that students face when considering the dual enrollment courses is really the scheduling component of it. Um, any student that is in our schools um, is usually kind of held to that time frame. And for programs like the CCAP dual enrollment program, these are courses that are traditionally taught at our high school campuses. So it conflicts many times with their other um, courses, whether they're courses at the honors or AP level, whether they're career technical education courses, or whether they're courses within certain passions, such as the arts, uh, music, um, you know, uh, uh, ROTC as an example. So scheduling really becomes difficult. Uh, we try and accommodate the best schedule that we can, and that's by working with the school site administrators. I work with them, and I work with my community college to try and figure out when we could offer these courses that would maximize uh, the best available time for all. That includes the students and the schools. And so scheduling is it's difficult. Sometimes the student may want to, but they got to make that tough choice of, well, what course are they going to give up to be able to accommodate the other courses? Um, the other challenge that a lot of our students are facing is the enrollment process. Uh, while our partners at our local community college uh, do provide support, great support, uh, the process itself, it, it's, it's a little antiquated in the sense that it requires students to have to jump from one screen to another, to another, to another, to be able to enroll in a course. Um, so the system itself is not, isn't necessarily the most friendliest to users. Um, and so if it becomes a challenge for college students, imagine what a freshman or sophomore trying to enroll in their class uh, must face. So the enrollment process is challenging, um, and we try to get around that um, by making sure that we have our partners from our community college coming out to our school sites and working with our school counselors to meet with the students, address any issues that they may have, 
be able from behind the scenes uh, address those issues and ensure that when the time comes before the first day of class, that they're enrolled correctly in those courses. And then uh, another challenge that I can think of is just FERPA, the, the Education Rights Privacy Act. And so for a lot of our mm-hmm. students, they're excited about you know taking these challenging courses. Um, they're excited as a ninth grader possibly taking the guidance into the college course. Um, but they're at the same time, these are 13, 14-year-olds. And as 13, 14-year-olds, they still lean on their parents to kind of guide them and speak on their behalf about which courses should I take? What about this homework assignment? What about that? And so it's very difficult when we explain to parents and students that under FERPA, um, they are treated as young adults, um, whether they are of 18 years of age or not, um, for purposes of education. And so parents won't be able to speak to the professors. Uh, Parents can't just call their local college and ask questions. Um, And as high school sites, our counselors also are very limited as to what they can and can't do. So we work well with each other. We we make sure that communication is open with our uh, point person at the community college so that communication is sent over to our professors. And many times our community college professors teaching these courses uh, are more than willing to reach out to us and say, hey, I'm concerned about the following students. I haven't seen them or they're struggling academically without giving too much details. You know, and then for us, that allows us then to follow up with the students and provide the resources necessary. So I, I think those are the big three um, because mm-hmm. financially we've covered and supported the students. And, you know, I think it's just the, maybe the fourth one is just the scariness of taking a college <laughs> course. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, I, I, can, I can remember when I was in I, a, I senior high school. Oh my goodness. You know, thinking I'm going to have to go and sit in the, classroom with folks I've never seen or never so just mm-hmm. that transition alone I think the scariness is the most difficult but for for us I think working with our school counselors um, working with our community college partners making sure that we have parent information nights student information nights uh, we do mass communication when they're about to start the classes um, it, it allows them to feel a little bit more comfortable knowing especially under CCAP that these are only going to be high school students from the high school so I think that provides a little bit more comfort to that yeah. scariness component of it. Yeah. And fortunately, the scariness is very short-lived for, for most everybody. Fortunate, yes. Yeah. yes. So looking ahead, what would you like to see with all of your multitude of experiences in dual enrollment there at Riverside Unified School District? What would you like to see be the future of the dual enrollment program within your district and even beyond yours. Before you answer that, we need to take a quick break. Our guest is dual enrollment specialist, Jorge Perez of the Riverside Unified School District. More with him in just a moment. This is Education Insight. This is Education Insight. Coming up a little later, we'll introduce you to Avajit Randawa, who just went further than any other Southern California student in the National Spelling Bee. You'd think his older sisters would be wildly impressed, but they've been to the Nationals as well. They all 
join us later on. But before the break, we were speaking with college and career readiness expert Jorge Perez, whose job focus is on getting interested and qualified Riverside Unified School District high school students engaged in dual enrollment courses. That's free college classes that count towards actual degrees if they enroll in college after graduation. Jorge, before the break, I asked what you would like most to see for the future of dual enrollment in the Riverside Unified School District and beyond. So, great question. Uh, (laughs) So one of the things I would love to be able to see is for one day, just that we have um, specific high schools that are STEM focused, Mm-hmm. Uh, high schools that are focused on just all virtual coursework, all right, the virtual environment, um, or some schools that have a, uh, an arts academy, right, an arts focus to them, that we would be able to expand and provide a school very similar to just focusing on the opportunities to maximize the number of dual enrollment courses they could take. We know that certain models exist in the state. But for me, in this district, I would love to be able to see a school of that. Uh, we currently have one right across from our community college. It's um, it's one of our middle schools. So I think it could lend itself to that opportunity very well. And with the enrollment numbers going up, I'm positive that one day we will get there. Uh, that being said, uh, the bigger picture is making sure that not only is that opportunity available to those students at that school, but in reality, kind of, as was proposed by our California Community College Chancellor here in the state, that all students have an opportunity to really participate in dual enrollment courses. And so to be able to offer all freshmen the opportunity to do a guidance college awareness type of course their freshman year uh, could really provide the students that that next step that they need to be able to consider to take a certain level of challenging coursework that would better prepare them for their, you know, post-graduation options. Um, our current technical education department here does an excellent job of working with articulation. So many of our students are already participating in that manner. Um, we do have concurrent enrollment as an option, but not a lot of our students are taking advantage of that opportunity because those students would have to register themselves. It's a lot of hands-off that they would have to take that responsibility as parents. So when this program came on under CCAP dual enrollment, a lot of students really jumped on it because we still provide that support and the nurturing that's needed at the early age. And so I think by providing that, it'll allow more students to want to consider to take these college courses, which ultimately will give them a different view of what their potential options may be after they graduate and leave us by taking a variety of different courses within the arts, within the humanities and social sciences. And so, you know, as students are uh, moving forward and saying, hey, I want to be a lawyer, that's great. Uh, But maybe once they take a psychology course or an anatomy course, they'll realize that maybe they want to do something in the health field. Mm -hmm. Or maybe once they take a music course or a theater course, they may be more persuaded to maybe consider expanding on the arts, you know, as a potential future for themselves. So for me, having these opportunities made available to Every ninth grader and every year after that, be uh, also where they have opportunities, would be a dream across the district so that all students have a shot at, at being able to experience this. On the phone with us, Jorge Perez. 
the Instructional Services Specialist in College and Career Readiness at Riverside Unified School District. Talking with us today on that district's and his experiences with dual enrollment for Inland Empire students. Jorge, thank you so much for joining us on Education Insight today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. As we wrap up today's Education Insight, we introduce you to Abhijit Randawa of Corona. Avi, as he likes to be called, was more successful than any other Southern California student in the National Spelling Bee this year. Impressive enough, but in his house, all the Rondawa kids have made it to the Nationals. A lot of that has to do with their parents' approach to at-home learning and ideas about what really matters in education. The whole family joins us by telephone. But first off, congratulations, Avi. <laughs> um, thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me, because I've never been there and never experienced anything like that. What is it like to compete at the Scripps Spelling Bee in Maryland? It was actually quite enjoyable. I was able to create new friendships with competitors from all around the world. We made a friendship with a scholar from Canada. But um, in terms of the competition, it was quite nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. But, but for some reason, when I found myself on the stage, I felt much calmer than I had expected to. And I even had a little fun when I was spelling and choosing my answers for the vocabulary components. So how did you prepare in the weeks leading up to the actual competition? So um, after I won my regional B, I began devoting more time to my studies. Previously, I was studying approximately two to three hours a day, but I took it up a notch and started studying four to five hours a day Mm. because the National um, Spelling Bee required a vocabulary component. I used Word Club, a spelling website issued by Scripps to build my vocabulary up. What inspired you to enter your very first Spelling Bee? We're going back a while. What made you want to do that? I joined the Spelling Bee because of my thirst for a challenge in knowledge. Mm-hmm. After seeing my sisters compete in the song beat, I realized that what they learned from the beat was extremely useful and could be used in almost any field of life. So um, I want to be a doctor when I grow up, and there's all these complicated medical terms, and most often than not, they're composed of roots, which can help you with the spelling, but most importantly, tell you the meaning of the word. Yeah. What do you love most about competing in spelling bees, what's the most exciting part? The most exciting part is probably when I get to spell my word because it's really quite fun. You have to piece together a word that I might have not heard of before using the etymology and definition because it's almost like detective work, right? So the word is is kind of like your case and the clues as the etymology and the definition while my tools are roots and patterns. And when I crack open the case, a.k.a. the word, it feels pretty rewarding. Yeah, I bet. Let's go ahead and talk about the obvious. Uh, Those sisters of yours. Uh, So what advice, if any, did you receive from them, they being previous Spelling Bee winners? So um, my sisters told me to always stay in the moment when I was spelling my word and to never get fixated on on the spelling, but fixate more on the definition and the etymology of the word. But in terms of studying, they told me that while it is important to study new words, 
it's as equally as important to study previously studied words. In other words, repetition is practically the only way to cement words into your memory. Yeah. You're listening to Education Insight, and we are speaking by telephone with Avi Randawa, and in a moment, his parents. Avi went further than any other Inland Empire student and just returned from the Scripps Spelling Bee in Maryland, the seventh year in a row that one of the Rondawa kids has competed there. So, Avi, go ahead and tell me, who's the best speller in the Rondawa family? (laughs) I'd love to say I'm the best speller um, in reality. Um, Aisha and Lara, my older sisters, are definitely better spellers than I am. While I do strive to become a better speller, I don't try to become a better speller than Aisha and Lara. I strive to become a better speller than I am right now Mm. because the spelling bee is a competition between me and the dictionary and not a competition between me and other spellers. Wow, you are a gentleman and a scholar. So when you're not spending hours and hours learning words and roots and patterns. What do you love to do for fun? I love to play drums and guitar. Um, Right now, I'm in my school of Sassan, and I'm enjoying it a lot. I also love to read books, especially um, science magazines and mystery books. And I also love to play basketball and golf. Wow. Good stuff there. Avi, what would you say is the greatest value for any human being in being a great speller? So um, for me, the greatest value of being a great speller is that you've developed the vocabulary and spelling needed to, to express yourself eloquently. Before I started my spelling week journey, I had to write essays for school, and I thought of myself as a okay writer, and my grades reflected that. But after I began my spelling week journey, I viewed myself as a better writer, and my papers came back with more 100%. So I really think that the greatest value is of spelling is that it helps you communicate precisely and write precisely. Avi, are your parents on the line? Could we speak with them? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Lacey. This is Mr. Randawa, and here's... Hi, this is Sandeep Randawa. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Randawa. I understand you got some other folks sitting there with you, too. Who might that be? Yeah, we have uh, Aisha and Lara, his older sister. Hi, Lacey. Hi, Lacey. Hey, girls. It's good to hear your voices. My big question for mom and dad is, how do you do it? How do the parents of three children influence all three in a way that they become winners of the spelling bee for the seventh consecutive time in a row? What is that secret? What are you doing in that house? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all a bunch of word nerds, I guess, at heart. Um, it's a journey. It's a process. I, I think it starts you know, from when they're young and, and modeling uh, the present parent thing. So being present, you know, of course we get back from work, we're tired. It's sometimes long hours, but we would sit down with them and help them, you know, go over their schoolwork. Do they understand what they're learning for the day? And if so, can we help enhance that knowledge a little bit, you know? And with spelling specifically, I I, I would say my eldest Aisha who started this, just, uh, she had a a little, uh, she loves writing poetry. She just showed us that she loved words and so when we started that process, I would sit down with her every evening and we'd review roots and language patterns and wonderful resources that exist. And as Aisha did well and, and was winning and, and her younger siblings would often you know, look at her with 
with with uh, this uh, inspiration that you could see and and I think that that really uh, that confidence that they saw in her and that her abilities grew that's more than anything what allowed the other kids to to pursue this so I think that's just kind of the mindset you know that percolates through our house uh, just, uh, we we as parents have have um, tried to put our energy into spending that time with our kids and helping them develop in in terms of their learning from a young age. Yeah. You mentioned encouraging your daughter with her poetry. Uh, You've said many times to other members of the media that you and your wife have, on a regular basis, encouraged your children to see the value in language. In what ways have you instilled that idea in them as kids? I can answer. I can start that, uh, Lacey. So I grew up in India, and um, there I learned three languages from the beginning of schooling. So I always felt that it was important for children to learn different languages. So my husband and I, we made that conscious decision of enrolling all of our children in Spanish language dual immersion program through our school district. Mm -hmm. And as they have learned Spanish and over the years, we really feel that Learning Spanish has immensely helped them with spelling also. Yeah, the, the Spanish is, is amazing because there's a, you know, there's a, what we call a, a history with English and Spanish in that there's cognates in Latin. And so there's tons of English words and vocabulary that uh, really one develops because of knowing Spanish and their English improves. So mm-hmm. as an example, I remember um, my eldest would come back, I don't know, probably in third grade and she would use the word uh, ubicar, which in Spanish means locate. Mm-hmm. And that comes from uh, the Latin cognate ubique, meaning everywhere. So there's a relationship there. But then there's also the English word that sounds a little different, which is ubiquitous. And that means existing everywhere. So because a third grader is being taught the word ubicar, when they hear the word ubiquitous, they can understand that that has a similar meaning. And so that's part of it. And even with respect to spelling, you know, we, you know, all kids love learning and, and, and books and children's books and reading books. And you take a, a word like book and the old English book is very similar in its, in its, its sound, but then, you know, they build on it. They learn, okay, what is a uh, bookcase? What is a book binder? But as you develop spelling skills, you develop advanced root knowledge and you start knowing, oh, book and bouquin in, is French. And a word like bouquiniste, which means a dealer in secondhand books, is all, all of a sudden all relatable. So that's the fun of, of language and spelling and how we've been able to kind of make it fun is, is through that process of telling the story of words. Yeah. So I, I've got to ask both of you, uh, amidst all of the studying and schoolwork at home, and now with Avijit making it so far into the finals, how do you two celebrate these and successes like these with your children. Yeah, maybe I can, you know, see if Aisha and Laura would like to chime in on how we've celebrated some of those successes. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever we have a success either in school where we are accomplishing something or have good grades or in the spelling bee if we do well, uh, we usually go out to eat. Sometimes ice cream at Raskin Robbins is one of our favorites. (laughs) We also go on walks to just talk about our days and um, discuss our triumphs and things that we could work on. But otherwise, just to enjoy ourselves at home, we play a lot of word games, word nerd thing. But we love to play Scrabble, Pictionary, Bananagrams, all these games um, that 
you know, kind of at the same time play into our passion for words. That's a good way to do it. So I have one last question and I would like to ask uh, Mrs. Randawa and Avi. All right. So this is my thought. With Avi still eligible to compete as an eighth grader, which will be next year, do you two see another trip to Maryland in your future? Yeah. Right now, I'm I'm studying really hard. We came up with a game plan right after arriving from um, Maryland back home. We came up with a game plan, and right now we're studying hard. Mm-hmm. So a chance, and I have a greater chance to get back to Washington, D.C., and hopefully bring the cup home. I hope to see that happen. And I think a lot of folks are rooting for you and and for all of the wonderful Rondawa family and all of your successes. We, uh, we're, we're so proud of all of the great trophies that you have brought back to the Inland Empire. And we thank you so much for joining us here on Education Insight today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you Lacey. Thanks, you guys. And that wraps up another edition of Education Insight. Thanks so much to our guests today and to those of you who have written us with so many great suggestions for story ideas. If you have an idea, feel free to write to us, giatogether.org. Thanks for joining us. I'm Lacey Kendall. Education Insight is produced in partnership with KVCR San Bernardino. Our executive producer is Jacob Poor, and our production engineer is Tyler Vizi. Alyssa Silva is our production assistant, and Lacey Kendall is your host. Support is provided by Growing Inland Achievement, working together for inland education and economic success. And by College Futures Foundation. Do you have questions or suggestions for the future topics we should be covering? Write to us at educationinsight.org. Join us again next time for Education Insight.